0: Hi folks, Steve Urban here, founder and CEO at RiderFlex. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. And as a reminder, please subscribe to the RiderFlex show for updates on new episodes. And by the way, if you haven't already, check out the book we recently launched, The Rider Flex Guide, Inspiring and Hiring, available for purchase on Amazon. And now a quick word from our sponsor.
1: Try the number one marketing platform for small business. Everything you need from design to marketing to CRM. Learn more at marketing360.com. Marketing 360, fuel your brand.
0: Dahlia Feldheim on the Rider Flex podcast. Hello, how are you this morning? Or let's see, what time is it where you're at?
1: Afternoon, afternoon. I'm good. Lovely to be here.
0: And, And where are you today?
1: I'm in Israel.
0: Israel, okay. Your LinkedIn says Singapore, so I didn't know. I thought, wait, well, she can't be in Singapore when she's doing this podcast, because it would be like 1 a.m. or whatever. I don't know.
1: <laughs> we lived in Singapore for the last 10 years, and we just moved back a few months ago.
0: Oh, really? Okay. Oh, very good. Whereabouts, if you don't mind me asking? What, what area? In the north.
1: Very, very north. We live in a beautiful little village on the beach. That's why we came back. Ah. Uh, I love the new work-life balance that COVID brought about, right? So every morning I go hiking on the beach. I live in kind of serenity, but then, you know, I fly a lot and I do podcasts and I do uh, online work. So it works really well for me.
0: Very good. Is that where you're from? Is that where you were raised?
1: No, no. It's uh, further n- north. So it's uh, it's between Acre and Naria. Uh, next to the big city is Haifa.
0: I see. So, and your parents, uh, your folks, are they, uh, they're from... My
1: parents are are Brits. So I always joke and say that I'm made in England, born in Israel, which is the case of my mom came over pregnant and they live around about 20 minutes south from here. So uh, they're super happy that after 24 years that I've been outside of Israel, I'm I'm back home.
0: Oh, very nice. Well, yeah, that's, that's cool. How about siblings? Any siblings?
1: Yes, I have an older brother. He's uh, a... An engineer, um, yeah, and then it's kind of nice being back, uh, back with family. My three kids are getting to know uh, their cousin better than before. Uh, we've always kind of kept in touch, of course, but uh, it's great to have a strong relationship, especially as my parents are getting older. Right, like all of us. So I'm, I'm grateful for this magical time they have.
0: Oh, very nice. Okay, so three children. So married.
1: Yes, of course. I have a. I always say I have three plus one children. (laughs) Uh, My husband is a serial entrepreneur uh, and he's definitely a fourth child. Uh, But yeah, we're quite uh, an interesting couple. Actually, I wrote about, you know, a whole chapter in my book is about, uh, um, you know, how do you manage dual career? Mm. I was the main breadwinner in the first 10 years, I would say. And then we swapped. Um uh, so I think it's, uh, for me, it's always been a really, really balanced relationship. I love that, you know, Sheryl Sandberg said once the best business decision she ever made is who, who she married and, you know, the equality that she had. And I'm very, very grateful I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the support of my husband. You know, behind every woman, behind every man, there's a great woman. Behind every woman, there's an incredible man because there's a... a you know, I remember days when he when I was the main breadwinner uh, and we, we started off uh, in Geneva and in Switzerland. There was no tax bracket for a woman that's working and her husband is not. Interesting. We had to go specially. And, you know, not many men uh, would find that amusing. But actually, <laughs> right. <laughs> and he, recently, actually, he gave an interview to Bloomberg. He's very successful and a great entrepreneur. And he gave an interview to Bloomberg and he said he started his career as a trailing spouse.
0: <laughs> I love it so the first 10 years you were the breadwinner were you having children then and he was stay-at-home dad
1: so we moved uh, to Geneva I started off with Procter Gamble back uh-huh. in 1998 and the we were supposed to go for a year and then come back to manage the business here in Israel that kind of was my my contract with P&G so it was a temporary contract I see and then as we after we moved, they told us that they decided to delay the subsidiary open and make a life in Geneva, which meant my husband had to study French in order to continue his studies, which he did, and then he started working there. So we spent 10 years in Geneva, in between the kids who were born, then three years in Moscow. So in Geneva, the two elder kids were born. We went to Moscow for three years, came back to Geneva uh, where my youngest was born. In the same hospital, in the same delivery room, with the same. Uh, I always joke that we listened to you two, um, and it was all yellow. That was a song when my daughter was born, and it was all yellow because uh, she was born in April, so the mustard flowers. And then my son was born in July, and the same song was playing by chance, and it was all yellow because of the sunflower. And then my youngest was born in October, and it was all yellow because of the leaves. So. How about
0: that? Wow. Okay. <laughs> very, very cool. Uh, well, thank you for thank you for sharing that. W- were you a good kid, perfect straight A student? Um, you know, were, were you a rebel?
1: Where, where were you? In, you know, how were I, you growing up? I always say my feet are in the ground, my head is in the sky. So I love I live in a square, but I love to break off the square. So yes, I was. Uh, <laughs> a really good student i was an a student all of all of my studies every single year i was a gymnast which uh, a competitive oh. gymnast which oh, kind okay. of gave me the incredible discipline you know to i always say it's not compete externally as much as it's yes there were external competitions but for me it was always about being the best that i could be mm. so i think you know that's a, that's how i grew up but yes, I did, uh, you know, I was quirky in the sense, you know, I'm a real adventure seeker. I think I'm lucky. You know, my husband is crazier than I am. Oh, uh, yeah. So he comes up with the crazy ideas and I make them happen. So we've been traveled, we traveled, I think we've been to 60, 60 states,
2: was, countries,
1: oh, Yeah. Uh, and wow. bungee jumping, diving, <laughs> uh, you name it. Uh, so, so yes, so I live in a square. I'm a good kid. <laughs> but they, I love to test test my limits.
0: Uh, and how about your children? Uh, are, are you got any rebels in there? Anybody? Uh, you know, uh, pushing yeah, your buttons actually, a little
1: bit? No, they actually. It's amazing now that. So my eldest is 21. My my daughter. My son is 20, and my youngest is 14. Okay. And my eldest is just one big heart, emotions all mm-hmm. out there, mm-hmm. super super close to us. So you know in. Full of gratitude for everything, so she's the one that's kind of a, a, the easiest in a way because I she's see. just so grateful for everything. We call her head of vibe for our mm. family. I just met the the head of vibe for Canva, and I said to my daughter, "That's your title, head of
2: vibe." <laughs> she's always like you know,
1: making sure everything's happy. Uh. My son is, you know, he was born eleven months later. He's very competitive because she taught him everything he knows. It was always, you know, come Liam, I'll show you. She potty trained him. She, <laughs> you know, he wanted to do exactly what she's doing. So he's very, very intelligent, of course, but also very kind of, you know, uh, competitive. Uh, <laughs> but super, you know, boys, boys and mums is something special. So he's my my little hugger. And then my youngest, I would say, she's not a rebel, but she is probably the one that, you know, she has her own agenda. Uh, emotions <laughs> are all kept inside so I never know exactly what's going on. She's a great kid but she you know she does what she wants uh,
0: <laughs> more
1: than the other two. <laughs> uh,
0: that's great and so you're still traveling but not nearly as much as you used to.
1: Yeah so you know I was 21 years in the corporate world right yes. 17 with Stockton Gamble and then yep. you know the rest was another company and Towards the end, I was CMO Asia. I would say 50% of my time I would travel. And I mentioned earlier that, you know, dual career is really important for me. My husband opened his startup in Singapore. And, you know, we would have this family calendar. Okay, I'm traveling this week, you're not allowed to travel. But you can say that to a corporate guy. You can't say it to an entre- entrepreneur because it's like, Dahlia, I have big meetings with my investors. <laughs> I need to travel that week. So it happened more than once that we had to travel, both of us, on the same week. And I'm like, I don't want to parent that way. And that kind of uh, made me realize that it's now my time to step back and I open my own company so I have a little bit more flexibility on uh, when, when and where I travel. Uh, we actually try to, uh, you know, now now that the kids are out of the house, at least two of them, we also kind of uh, can travel together. But yes, my travel, you know, COVID has been amazing for me. I, you know, I've done a lot. Today, I'm an organizational psychologist, so I started off in marketing, as you know. Yep. And when I decided, you know, after a traumatic experience that we'll talk about in a bit, I decided oh. to pivot my career. Uh, become an organizational psychologist because I saw there's so much that can be done in organizations and bring in purpose and joy to the workplace. Mm. So that's my business today. I also founded the EduTech company, uh, which means, you know, a lot of my work is online and companies are loving online training. And I had to work hard to make sure they're incredibly engaging but I think we cracked the code. I mean, I I even have participants in say they came to my training think, thinking they would do things in parallel, but got totally sucked in. So, I think you know now I do a lot of hybrid work. But uh, but yeah, a lot of uh, you know companies can afford to do more training and more broad training when they do online. So a- most absolutely. of courses are year long courses. Yes. You know, we meet monthly. Most of it is online, and then I do either the first lesson session or the last session live, and I think that's kind of the the winning formula.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, no doubt about it. Companies are saving a ton of money on all the travel and expense, and you know the 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 employees are happier because they don't have to travel, uh, or the vendors or the clients are happier. I mean, I'm I'm all about the remote world that we live in, and then you know what it does? It actually makes travel enjoyable when you do travel (laughs) because you're not having to do it all the time
1: right i can tell you you know i was teaching uh, the science of happiness at singapore management university okay and either they knew something about covid because i was in singapore but they moved us to to start teaching online in january of 2020 okay Mm. so this was
0: two months ahead of it yeah two months yeah two
1: months ahead right and I was the first one of like, you know, this will not work. I'm all about the face-to-face interaction. <laughs> you know, I'm talking with Singaporean about emotions. It's so hard already. <laughs> so I was totally against. And I can tell you, I'll never forget. my my All of my sessions are, are deep and I do find your purpose. And But, you know, probably the toughest one was the, the session on emotions. And, mm-hmm. you know, I gave a session and I'll never forget, you know, the week after the session, one of my students raised his hand and he's like, prof, can I share something? And I'm like, of course. And he stood up and he said, listen, uh, you know, I have not opened up about my emotions. uh, But after last session, I've decided, you know, my mom uh, had cancer four years ago and I just didn't know how to deal with it. So I would just avoid conversation. Mm. And after your session, I decided to go home and I walked in, and I just gave her a hug. I didn't say anything. I just gave her a hug. She started crying. Okay, my tough mom that never cried. And Mm. he said, and he hugged me, and she hugged me, and she hasn't hugged me since I was eight. And the whole class started crying.
0: Online, online.
1: Online, right? And I ended up writing to the dean. I said, you know what? Hiding behind the screen, they were actually even more brave. So... I could see that.
0: I, see. I, I actually can see that. Yes. Yes. Cause you're, I guess, you know, you're somewhat comfortable because you're in your home or you're in your own personal office and you're, you're by yourself and um, you're not sitting next to somebody. Um,
1: yeah. I, I could see yeah.
0: them releasing their emotions, maybe even more. Yeah. And,
1: and I'll tell you, you know, my favorite workshop that I do for companies is the find your purpose workshop and I do it through peer coaching and we go really deep And when COVID started and companies started asking me to do this workshop for them, I was really worried about doing online.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I got so much feedback that, you know, we were able to connect. It was like having a coffee in the middle of COVID, really deep, hearing another person's life story. Mm. So I'm still, I love the face-to-face interaction, of course, but hybrid, I think, is the way forward.
0: Yes. The one thing I wish we could continue to develop, especially when you're looking for Emotional connection. I I sometimes miss the full view of their uh, body language uh, uh, and how they're sitting or moving their hands or you know. So sometimes I wish I could see a little bit more than the face, but it's still really good. You know, it's still good. Maybe we'll have. I'm
1: sitting in my pajama trousers. No, I'm
0: joking. <laughs> you know, I my wife told me the other day. She's like, "Are you going to wear sweatpants and shorts every day with a Rider Flex shirt?" <laughs> So, you know, uh, there was a there was a span of like three weeks where I was in shorts and sweatpants and I put on a pair of jeans and I thought, man, these are uncomfortable. I haven't been in jeans in a while.
1: (laughs) But there is something about it. I did a Fox 5 interview just before coming on now. And I'm like, whoa, usually I would have to fly to the U.S., right? It would be such a big deal, you know. And here it was for three minutes or five minutes section in the news section. I was like, okay. Came back from the beach, had a swim.
0: Love it. it. Went on TV.
1: Love it. it. Plus you
0: have a plus you have a good setup. You obviously have a good mic, good lighting. You have a green screen. I'm guessing that's a green screen with a with your own background. background. Yeah. I tried
1: green screen, but this is yeah. You know, my husband bought me a mic. I bought this little LED. (laughs) I do so much of it, so it works.
0: Yeah, it works out good. Tell us, um, did something happen at PG and Procter and Gamble? You mentioned uh, a life event, maybe that turned you or pivoted you towards what yeah. you're doing now can you share that
1: oh yes yeah. in order to understand the pivot I'll tell you the tale of two cities okay, okay. the good and the bad so okay. as I mentioned I started with Procter Gamble in 1998 and I spent 17 years with Procter Gamble and I call them my 17 good years okay these were years of flow p g is really a people. Centric company. I was able to live my purpose every day. And I remember, you know, six months into my job, I had an event where my boss's boss, I didn't have a direct manager for a few months. So I was reporting directly to the general manager. And he called me into his office because one of my launches hit a wall, right? And I was sitting in his office and we were talking about it and what happened and what can we do. And You know, I was getting really frustrated because nothing of it was in my control and I worked so hard for it and Mm -hmm. I was just getting so angry Mm. and so frustrated, but suddenly a tear appeared in my eyes. Okay. I tear really easily. And I remember I was like frantic. Oh my God, here I am in the GM's office crying in his office. Right. I was kind of frantically trying to regain my composure. Mm. And then my boss, Jim, who was a friend and mentor until today, he looked me dead in the eye and he said something I'd forever remember. He, he said, Dahlia, don't you ever be embarrassed for crying in the office again. It's a sign of your passion and passion is your superpower. Wow. I was so empowered. And, and then he added, and if you ever work for someone that doesn't appreciate that, walk away. They don't deserve you. Oof, That's good. Oof, that's good. Right. Good stuff. And good stuff. I can tell you. For the next 17 years in PNG, I was lucky to have many managers like Jim. You know, mm-hmm. they believed in me sometimes more than I believed in myself. Now, it wasn't that I didn't have tough managers, but the culture was such that really kind of if you weren't a good people manager, you will not get promoted. We'll talk about it a little bit in the end. So the culture was, you know, manage up, we encourage voice, so I was able to bring myself and my career just went from strength to strength. But it wasn't until I reached the lowest point of my career that I actually understood what Jim was talking about. Mm-hmm. And that happened 17 years later. So I was with P&G. We moved from Geneva to Moscow to Geneva to Singapore. 2015, they did a big reorg. They wanted to be back in Geneva. My husband just opened his startup after I was the main breadwinner and he followed me around. I'm like, nope. I need to put my money where my mouth is on dual career. I came back to PNG. I said, sorry, you know, I can't go back to Geneva. Maybe it's time we depart. Um, and we parted as friends. I mean, they tried to find uh, uh, different uh, roles in, uh, in Singapore. But honestly, I felt that I was ready for the new thing. And okay. I decided to leave p and I, I can tell you it was almost like a divorce. I was so aligned with the purpose right and the company and I'm still in great relationship but I decided to take a new role it seemed like a dream role okay it was CMO Asia for another fortune 500 company doesn't matter what the company is but it was a great company I love the CEO I love the CMO vision I was there to turn it around from a product-led company to a marketing and consumer-led market you know I was to hire 150 people dream role right or so I thought, because one month into the role, I actually got a new manager, okay, the local CEO for Asia. Oh, I see, okay, I got you. Yeah, so the global CEO, global CMO, but then later, right, because I I always interview the companies that I'm going to join, and it seemed like a great company, but then this new manager came in, and I can tell you, Steve, it took me one week to realize that him and I were like fire and water, okay, so I'm the fire. I'm passionate and passion, <laughs> right? creativity, people. And he was numbers, scorecard, ROI. And I could tell you it was so extreme. You know, we used to joke that the culture felt like ROI or you die, right? <laughs> anyway, a specific pivoting event happened about six months into the role. Okay. So I was kind of summoned to his office. And he started giving me feedback. Now, I love feedback. We used to call it tough love. I'm sure you heard the term, right? I'm Israeli. So be direct. Don't sugarcoat. Be tough, right? I love it when people are direct and honest with me. But feedback that comes from a position of love and care and, Mm -hmm. you know, they want me to grow. Right. Well, I can tell you, no love (laughs) that day. It was just really humiliating, belittling,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you know, very personal feedback and, Mm -hmm. My frustration was mounting, okay? But Mm. I was a C-suite woman at the time, right? And the only C-suite woman on his team, except Mm. for the HR. And I was kind of determined to, right, to hold it all in. And then he started humiliating my team. Mm. And I could tell you, I don't know about you, but that's when I become a lioness because my team worked so hard and it was so unfair. And I was getting so angry and frustrated Tear appeared in my eye. I'll never forget that. I He smiled at me and he offered me a box of tissues. And I could tell you for a moment I had that warm, fuzzy feeling, right? Remember in my previous job, boss, Jim. And I was sitting there and I kind of looked up for a moment. And I saw this weird, weird smile. Okay, almost something evil about his smile. As he turned around the tissue box. And Steve, I couldn't believe my eyes. On the other side of that tissue box was a handmade sticker he prepared in advance, which read, Dahlia's tissue box.
0: Wow. What? I mean, th- okay, I've never heard what? of <laughs> What?
1: what? Like- and I can tell you that was my reaction exactly. I actually gave a talk to Facebook. There were about 7,000 people. The whole audience was like,
0: okay. What? I can't, well, I I, he he. So so, his whole mission was to, to make you belittle cry. you and make you cry. Like that was his goal of the day, and he actually made a sign for it. Like, what,
1: what kind of yes, asshole
0: would do that? Exactly. Like, who, who does that?
1: That's. Crazy. I told him, uh, you know, I told him, uh, why do you stab and turn? Is it not enough that you're just stabbing? Wow. And uh, he told me, Dalia, I keep bringing you down, and you keep coming up again. And I'm like, so is this a game to you? He's like, yeah. Are you not enjoying it? So it was kind of very, very weird relationship, I can tell you.
0: I would've well, well, I yeah I, know, yeah, I know what I would have done. I would have just stood what up and said, Hey, done. how about, Turn how about...
1: Over the table, right?
0: Yeah. But
1: well, I can tell you, it's interesting, you know, when I look back. Because I'm quite a confident, feisty little one, right? I'm not yeah. a pushover. But I was kind of trying to make it work. I mean, in this case I told them are you kidding me? The so you didn't quit so you didn't
0: quit on the spot. You didn't resign I on, didn't the quit spot. on the spot.
1: Uh, why? I'm a gymnast. I don't quit. All right. Quit, right? Oh. That was kind of my mindset. I was also had this immense dissonance. I was head of women's network in PNG. I'm not a victim of bullying. I can fix this. Right? Okay. That was kind of my mindset. Yeah. yeah. So I told him, you know, are you crazy? This is an HR yeah. assault. Right? Yeah. And he looked back and he said, oh, Dahlia, stop being so emotional. It's just boy banter. I know you have a sense of humor. Now, so all of this is going in my head. Number one, I'm the main breadwinner. Okay, school, housing. I see. I see.
0: It. Right. Yeah. Okay. Number so yeah. Yeah.
1: I am not a quitter. Mm. Okay. Number three, I loved what I was doing, and I loved my team, and I even brought over from PNG a few people to work for me. Okay. So I was, I could not quit and leave them. I right.
0: See. I got you.
1: And then number four, and this is where it becomes interesting. Is a few months and I don't tell this often. A few months into the role, I actually had a coffee with the headhunter that placed me, and we were talking. Now, I'm a loyal person, okay. I grew up, you don't bad mouth, okay. I told my boss, you know, directly everything that I thought, okay. Good. This is what's good, this is what's not good, yeah. Good, you know, I was always really good at managing up, I always got feedback that I'm really good at managing up. Anyway, so I was being kind of, you know, this is good, this is not, and then she stopped me and she said, Dalia, your boss is an asshole. I know because I placed him there, oh. and he has a reputation. You're the only one who can fix him.
0: Interesting. Okay. I,
1: know. <laughs> I yeah. It, anyway.
0: So what'd you do? You went to the you went to the well, global it's CEO. It's- you went. You went to the global
1: hey, CEO. Wait, before I, her intentions were really good, but I guess she kind of gave me a sense of mission. Almost like kind of put the cape on me of, I'm the only one who can change him. Okay. And I told you I'm a very open and direct person. I'm very congruent. So year one was kind of trying to change the environment. I gave feedback. I volunteered. You know, the global team came once to, to interview us because one of the, Senior people got fired, so they were smelling something. I gave open feedback. I said, okay, now something will happen, but nothing did. I remember in one meeting, we had uh, we had received feedback as a leadership team that were too negative. Okay, you will appreciate this one. So we got feedback that were too negative. And I kind of raised my hand and I said, ooh, ooh, I'm, I started to study positive psychology, and I would love to do kind of a workshop for us.
0: Oh. There it is. There's a pivot point, right? There's a, there's a turning point right there.
1: My boss kind of leaned back and he's like, Thank you. But that won't be needed, Ms. Kumbaya. <laughs> Everyone laughed, right? <laughs> and there were many cases like that. So I won't go into all the details because it's really not about that. So, first year, you know, I was trying kind of fight, doing everything that I know to kind of change the environment. And I very quickly realized you can't change someone that doesn't want to change, Mm. right? Unless you use leverage, and I'll talk about it in a bit. So year two, the sad thing is that it started getting to me. And after a whole year, you know, even though 17 years, I was top rated every year, it started getting to me. I started to have imposter syndrome, Mm. right? Maybe he's right. Maybe I'm not as good as I could be. Maybe there's a lesson here, Okay. So I was an executive coach. I said, let me try and learn from this, right? Every challenge is an opportunity, so let me see. And I call it kind of, I guess in retro, my reaction was flight. Okay, I avoided conflict, right? And I said, okay, let me listen. Maybe there's something for me to learn. And I almost tried to change everything that he thought needed changes. So I was focusing for a whole year on my opportunity areas i 'm a creative person. He kept on saying, "You need process, you need six sigma. go to a six sigma course, so I was trying everything to to learn right That was my objective
2: okay.
1: at the end of that year. My scorecard was amazing, but I fell physically sick. Mm-hmm. I realized that I literally left my heart and my mm-hmm. art in the doorway
2: mm-hmm. for a
1: whole year. I was only focused on my strengths on my weaknesses why. My strengths were not only not appreciated, they were diminished, right? I was too positive, Miss Kumbaya. I was too good with my people, you know. Uh, I was too creative. So, you know, everything that worked for me for 17 years was kind of really dismissed and not appreciated, mm-hmm. right? Now, that was when I was in a low, right? I realized that I was know i felt physically sick i'm not happy
0: just not yeah just not happy with the situation yeah it didn't feel right
1: happy and i was i only then realized that something was really wrong but what saved me i guess or when you know when i realized that because you're in it right and i'm a feisty person and i'm you know i'm really good with people and she said i can change and i was all about kind of i'm going to make this work i'm a coach you know and at the end of that second year I actually attended a P&G alumni event. So my previous company, right? Okay. And I walked into the hall. It was in Cincinnati, you know, 500 people, right? And I still remember one after the others, all the leaders talking about, you know, servant leadership and people come first and take care of your people and, you know, the business will take care. That's how I grew up, right? Yes. But that perspective, I literally, I remember planking myself down in the seat and I'm like, oh my God, Dahlia. You've been a frog in boiling water. (laughs) You need to jump out. And that was the first time when I realized, you know, this environment is toxic. Okay. And I can tell you, I was really good in protecting my team, right? I, I did everything I can to, you know, enjoy working with my team and protect them. And there was one time that a very close, one of my marketing directors, she noticed something and she's like, Dalia, that's wrong. You need to write down every single event. Okay? Just write it all down. Then we'll see, you know, you'll see what to do with it. And writing it all down made me realize it was like four pages of belittling and bullying. And I mean, I won't even go into the stories. And I remember, you know, when I finished writing them, I I sent them to two people. I sent them to my husband, and I sent him to that first boss, Jim. He called me within two minutes. He's like, Dahlia? If the guy was with next to me, I would punch him. This is bullying, you know. There's a legal case here.
2: Mm.
1: You, you know, you can sue, et cetera. And, and yes, there was a legal legal case there, but I decided, you know, that's not what I want to do. But okay. I decided I am going to leave uh, at the end of that third year. But I am very results driven, so I was determined that I'm not going to leave before. You know, I live live with my head held high, right? Before I come yeah. back to my strengths. So my strengths was people and creativity. And, you know, I only in the third year, I decided I'm going to find a win-win, okay? He was all about science and, you know, winning awards and all of that. So I decided, you know, together with my team to create a campaign that was very science-driven. We did a whole... You know, it was very sophisticated in its metrics, but it was also super creative, okay? And when that campaign, it won an Effie Award for Business Results and Creativity. I cool. kind of said, okay, you got back your mojo. It's time to move on. Yes, good. And I can tell you, you know, those three years were challenging. I, when I left, I had somewhat of a post-traumatic stress disorder. How could it be that I, head of p g Women's Network, Right. Was a victim of bullying. There's, you know, there's a cognitive dissonance. And it's almost like I actually volunteered in a domestic violence home. Oh. And I was surprised with all these amazing women. And I had this analogy in my head. Right.
2: Mm. Mm.
1: Because I fell into that similar situation. I was so adamant to get, you know, I became a junkie of external validation.
2: hmm. Mm. Right mm. and I
1: was so determined to get that validation externally, right that that I forgot who I was, and you know I guess that kind of you know those three years were challenging, but I'm very grateful for them in a weird way because they pushed me to do what I do today
0: absolutely I mean I,
1: you, you have to lead like yourself with your passion and authenticity.
0: you know what's so interesting about your story is it's terrible that you went through that and, but The silver lining is it turns you towards what you do now to help so many other people with your coaching and with your consulting and with your book, which may not have happened if you hadn't had that experience, right? I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe you would have stayed there forever, right? So,
1: no, I think, you know, I, and I share this story so openly and so transparently, right? Because, you know, every one of us experienced pain in some moment in our hmm. life. And for me, I studied that pain, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right? And during my studies, I actually, you know, that led me to say, okay, I'm going to study what happened to me. I'm going to study if there was anything that I could have done differently, right? Mm -hmm. Because research is research. So I did, I decided to take two years off and I did my master's in organizational psychology. And my research question was exactly that. Can you coach yourself out of a toxic environment? You want to know the answer? Yeah, please tell me. (laughs) Well, my answer was, yes, you can build resilience. Okay. And that led into what I call my 5P model of resilience or leading like a girl, which you can talk about. But, okay, the answer is no. You cannot coach yourself out of a toxic environment. When it comes to really toxic environment, there really is only one strategy that works. And that is zero tolerance. Before leaving. I think that if, you know, people ask, someone asked me, what would you do if it happened to your daughter? Mm. Right? Should Mm. she leave? Right? And I think that's an interesting way of thinking about it. And I recommend not leaving immediately. I think if I left immediately, I would have felt like I failed or I'm always, I'm a very, I have Mm. high stamina. Mm -hmm. So I always believe in trying. But I think I should have limited it to six months maximum. Okay. So six months, make the effort on meeting the other person's need while meeting your own. Okay? Finding the win-win. Really listening, trying to make it work, being open and direct, right? Mm. But trying to make it work. If after six months, you find that you're asked to change beyond your values, Okay. That's when you need to leave, leave. and did those you, quiet kids.
0: Yes, yes. Did you, um, the the global CEO or the global head of HR? Did they listen and learn from the experience when you were trying to tell them what was going on? Uh, uh, you know, did they? Did they? I guess two part question. Did they take any action? And then when you left, did they realize what had happened and learn from it?
1: Okay, so on my side, I would say. I was determined to solve it myself. Okay. So where I need to, you know, one thing until today, I don't understand why I didn't do is file an official complaint. Mm -hmm. Of course, I complained to my local HR. Of course, she went in, she took the tissue box. She, you know, told the person off. She told the head of the global head of HR. And this is where it becomes really tricky Mm. because these toxic managers perform in many cases because fear drives results short term. And you know, the only thing that I would say on that company, yes, they did take action, but too little too late or okay. too slow. Okay. And when I say zero tolerance to bullying, it's both from my side, I should have said sorry. You know, you yes. cannot talk to me like that. I'm yes. going to leave the room and come back when you're ready to have a respectful conversation.
2: Sure. Okay. Yeah. I
1: thought that if I, you know, share the feedback and work together with And I realized that empathy is important. And I came from empathy and coaching and all of that side. You know, Muhammad Ali says, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. And sometimes we need to step into our assertive, right? And put very firm boundaries. Mm -hmm. Even step into our anger. You know, something interesting. Actually, it was my boss who told me, Dalia, you don't know how to do anger properly. Uh, I had a challenge with another colleague of mine. Okay. Okay.
0: okay.
1: That did something inappropriate. It was
0: male, or female. Was male or female?
1: Male or uh, female? A male inappropriate. It's all professional. Okay. So he was talking well, not professional, but uh, inappropriate in a in a business uh, gotcha. perspective. Gotcha. Understood. And I left the room. He talked about about he badmouthed my initiative or something like that. And. My boss was furious with him and he said, this cannot happen. But I know you cannot do anger. So I want, I'm going to tell him off. I want you and him to come into my office on Friday and I'm going to help you do anger. Right?
2: Right.
1: I'm like, no, that's not how I like to operate. Let me talk with him directly. He's like, no, 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 no. This is how it's going to happen. So we walk into the meeting on Friday. He ended up completely turning on me and stabbing me. kind of. That was a traumatic experience. Ooh. So he tried to, you know, for a moment. That's why I was playing with my mind, okay? Because on a personal level, some areas he seemed kind of. He used to tell me, "You think I don't care? My care is giving you a hundred percent bonus every year." That's how
0: yeah. I. Yeah, but people need more you know, than that. It's not just about the. It's not just about the money. Yep, go ahead. Just
1: and and for me, it's not like I don't think it's an evil person. Okay, mm-hmm. it's just. The belief, I mean, of course, there were evil things and, you know, inappropriate in a business kind of environment. But the value system is so archaic. And I see it, you know, sadly. Okay, this managers that believe everything is transactional. You're here to do a job. You're here to get paid. Basta. I don't care about you as a person. And the reality is, Mm -hmm. you know, it's way too common in the business world. So when I went... Yeah, it's crazy, right? Yes. I can, I can tell you, I'll share with you some stats, because when I went and studied that, I was blown away. Do you want to guess what percent of Americans experience office bullying? I mean,
0: I, I'd be curious to know how they got that stat, but yes. Um, I, yeah, please tell me.
1: 50%.
0: 50%.
1: 25% experience it directly. And 25 experience indirectly, meaning they've seen it happening to a colleague of them.
0: Interesting. An interesting
1: thing is the psychological damage on indirect is almost, it's not the same, but it's almost as significant Mm. as the psychological damage of someone that went to bullying directly. Mm. So 50% of our employees, you know, and we see that. Actually, one in four experience acute work-related anxiety. 87% of employees, and this is Gallup, you know, are unengaged in their workplace. So engagement surveys show only 13% are fully engaged in their work. Wow. (laughs) Right? So I found that what happened to me is, you know, way too prevalent. It has immense emotional and mental impact, as I mentioned, for collateral, right? And the interesting thing is even because Everyone mirrors a leader. There's a very strong mirroring effect and a lot of data on that. So if it's a good leader, people mirror the positive. So that works on a positive. But on a negative, people mirror a negative leader. And that impact stays minimum three years after that leader has left. So the cost for organizations of having assholes in their company is huge, right? Because, I mean, I read one research. It's about seven trillion dollars in stress-related disease, okay? In absenteeism, in having to change over. Turnover, so, yes, yep. Turnover. So I'm just saying to myself, I mean, what a waste, right? <laughs> and I share that. Now now I teach and I call my my course Happiness at Work. And when I come, CEOs is like, what is this too, you know, fluffy topic? And I'm like, dude, <laughs> it's $7 billion fluffy because that's the cost.
0: <laughs> yeah. You
1: know, uh
0: y- It's the human element that you're talking about, right? That is just so important. I think you're right. So many companies, KPIs, ROI, numbers, transactional, performance driven around that. And sometimes C-level executives or any manager forgets that they're not robots, right? Your team is not a robot. It's a human being with a heart and emotions that needs to be motivated in the right way. And really they do want to be in a good culture. I mean, I know everybody wants to, to try and make a certain amount of money, but I have talked to many people that made really good money and were miserable because they hated the culture. They hated their boss. And then they took a pay cut you know, 50% pay cut in a, in a great culture with work-life balance and they're way happier.
1: (laughs) Fascinating research that came out in Jan, 2022. So, you know, I, I was talking about it since two thousand and eighteen when I left, right? I gave my TED talk in two thousand and nineteen. I wrote my book in two thousand even though it just came out recently. But so I was talking about it before COVID. COVID just went and, you know, accentuated all of these factors, of course, mm-hmm. the fear, the anxiety, the lack of belonging. Yes. And now we're seeing the outcome of it, right? Employees are kind of leaving in buckets. So we're seeing the great resignation and the silent resignation mm-hmm. and you know, the great breakup, which is around women leaving more more kind of uh, often. But the research came out in Jan 22. And it was really fascinating. Saul, father and son for Sloan, their business review. And they found that the number one driver of the great resignation was not pay. No. It's not burnout. OK, as everyone was talking about burnout all the time. The number one driver of the great resignation is toxic bosses.
0: Toxic bosses, which drives a toxic culture. Yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. In fact, your direct manager has a bigger impact on your mental health than your doctor.
0: And and sometimes your spouse.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Because you spend so many hours there. Yes. The reality is that we know that we know, we know all the data. And that was what was fascinating. So when I went to to study, I did, you know, my master's in organizational psychology and then I did a degree in positive psychology with Dr. Tal ben kind of Harvard's who was Harvard's guru for positive psychology. Now he has his own Happiness Studies Academy. And we became friends. Actually, he heard me speak back in 2018 when my emotions were all raw. Basically, the first time I kind of told my story. And I remember he came to me after my talk. And he's like, Dalia, you need to speak on TED. And you need to write a book. And ah. I remember me. He's like, but that's why it's so relevant. And he's a smart guy. So I listened to him, right? I did my TED talk and I wrote But the fascinating thing for me, he then invited me to join him and you know, he just opened the online happiness studies academy. And when I started studying positive psychology, I realized that everything that I intuitively believed about leadership was grounded in research. Actually, it's good to be positive. It's good to be Miss Kumbaya, it's good for business. Okay. And so that was really fascinating for me. And that's when I kind of, you know, one thing led to another. I was asked to teach the Singapore Management University, the science of happiness. That was kind of a great serendipity. Uh, And for that course, I kind of brought together everything, all my leadership experience and my storytelling and the data and the science of happiness and I guess that was my second pivotal moment and I'll tell you about it so one was the trauma right that led me to kind of do you know write the book but the second pivotal moment was and you will appreciate that so I created this crazy course it was really I'm a very practical person so I took them out to the botanical gardens to do you know find your purpose in nature and it was really deep and it was really powerful and at the end of the class this 23-year-old raises his hand and he's like, prof, they're very hierarchical. So I love that they call me prof. Like, so he's like, prof, thank you. I now know what my purpose is.
0: What was his purpose? Because most people cannot say what their core purpose is.
1: So I'll tell you. I, I do a lot of work on that. But the interesting thing is what he added. He said, I now know what my purpose is, but I know I need to be a corporate slave for a few years and then I'll do what I love.
0: What? did He said that because he needed the money or because he wanted to learn from it?
1: that is the culture that was the notion and i said to myself whoa everyone is kind of feeling that corporate is the big evil now i spent 17 years in corporate i loved every single moment uh, so uh, yeah. i have the experience mm. of what it means to work for a company that believes in you yes. right that nourishes you versus what it means to work for a company of that doesn't and maybe there's not enough companies like this but i kind of decoded if you like what it takes to get to that and yeah. to avoid, you know, to get to the positive and avoid the negative. And that kind of led me to say, okay, that's how I'm going to pivot my career. I'm going to focus on working with companies, on sharing that code, right? To help organization, you know, bring purpose and joy back into the world. And
0: at that time, for the for the aspiring entrepreneurs that might be interested in how you pivoted from a personal financial perspective, that you, your husband at the time then, Was make you you could quit your job and start your own business and he
1: it was super scary okay (laughs) beautiful six figure salary
0: yes right and this is where everybody struggles this is where all the aspiring entrepreneurs struggle they 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 want to do something but they're scared to jump off the bridge there and and be like oh man I was making two hundred fifty grand a year and all of a sudden now I'm hoping I land a client next month
1: (laughs) yeah I can tell you I'm very careful say hey jump right because it's uh, you know um so I'll tell you what worked for me okay okay so I, just to describe I was making this beautiful salary yes. my husband opening his startup so I didn't want to rock the boat right Oof. we needed Oof. the security Oof. everything you know the school was on me the house was on me right leaving oh my god what am I going to do I was making you know 40% Oof. higher than a CMO, a CMO because they were looking mm. for someone for so long and Anyway, it was really challenging Mm. uh, Mm. financially. But when I shared that note, you know, my husband realized you cannot stay there. Right. And we decided. So originally, and this is what I advise all the people I coach. Okay. My plan was to do things in parallel. And that's what I advise people. Okay. You can officially request to go to 80% you can find the time to start developing yes, yes. whatever yeah. you want to do and even offer it to your existing company. That That's was my it. plan. Yes, I'm going to create this leadership development program, this happiness program, and I'm going to offer my company to lead it. And today I work with many, many entrepreneurs and that works. And then they get confident in their material. Yes. And they've done it before and they have verbatims and feedback. And then, when they land the first client, you know, they can jump. Sorry, Steve, I'm going to moment pause. Okay.
0: Yes. Yes. No problem. That was really great advice. Really great advice. Dahlia. I, I totally agree. In so many cases uh, you can, you can end up turning your current employer into your first client if you handle it properly. And it's a, it's a delicate conversation and you got to, be careful but but if you have a service of some kind especially a service business or even even a product if you created it you can make your current employer your first client and maybe even some of the vendors that service that that, that employer if you handle it properly
1: I, yeah i always say don't you know don't uh, leave immediately so i do a lot today on find your personal purpose and link it to your company purpose you know mm. we just finished a workshop for google even the best companies, right? You have a company purpose, okay? And Google has an amazing company purpose. But really understanding your individual purpose mm. and how you can bring it to life every single day. Yes. And sometimes, you know, I have CEOs come to me and like, oh my God, Dahlia, everyone will find their purpose and leave. And I'm like, no, no. you know, no. maybe a, you you, no. no. a purpose. No. Yeah. Not another purpose. No, I always joke.
0: Pur- yeah. Now, purpose yeah. doesn't equal the... Uh, fortitude to be an entrepreneur and leave a company and do your own thing. Not, not many people can do that. That's actually, that's actually a very small percentage of people that have the wherewithal and the determination to start something. And a lot of times they just can't financially, personally at home, whatever, they just can't do it. So.
1: Not only that, right. What I say is, from my experience, 90% of employees could start living their purpose, from within the existing company. That's true. And yes, agreed. We have so many stories. Yes. So that's what I tell CEOs. I, 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 I share some of these stories. I had one lady, I'll share her story. She worked for, never mind, a big company. And she was a lawyer. And she came to me and she said, Dalia, doing the work with you, I realized my purpose is in green energy. I wanna leave and work for an NGO. I'm like, wait. Yeah. Before you do. Okay, she was a single mom. I always say, wait have you had a conversation with your land manager? Have you shared what your passions are, what your strengths are, what your purpose is? How can you bring it more within what you're currently doing? Even if it's a passion project that you do on a Mm. Friday afternoon, you will get so much energy for the rest of the week. So she said, well, I didn't have the conversation. I'm like, before you do anything, please go and have that conversation. Okay. She called me the next day, all excited. She's like, you won't believe it. I had the conversation. My manager almost fainted. She said, yesterday in the big leadership meeting, they decided to open a green energy project for the company in Asia. And we were looking for a lead for this project and she became she moved from becoming a lawyer to becoming head of this project that was 4 years ago she's still doing this
0: nice work. that's a great story yeah it's a great story real quick for the for the listeners uh, cuz i know we're getting closer on time here so flow leadership consulting i guess that's the official name of the company but the website for everybody to find you is is com. is that the the, the right yes. website to go to 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 book you for either consulting or coaching or Speaking events. Is I that do a lot p-
1: of speaking. I do a lot. I do a year-long program. Microsoft is my biggest client for four years, and the 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 program is I you know manager to leader. Okay. How can you lead yourself so that you can lead others? Because so many companies do not realize that from manager to leader is a completely different skill set, right? <laughs> yeah. And all the soft skills are the strength skills. So we go through kind of the different soft skills. Okay. um uh, so
0: yeah and then the to book the with, book uh, dare, a- the book is dare to lead like a girl how to survive and thrive in the corporate jungle i'm looking at it on amazon uh kindle and hardcover is it available a lot of other places as well
1: Everywhere. yeah barnes Everywhere. And, no, all the wherever they
0: send and i'm then, actually
1: in new york to do book signing for barnes and nobles on the 21st of january and uh, oh, yeah cool. looking forward
0: Okay, very good. And then did you want to mention, I don't know, I found, what is the uppiness, uppinessgame.com? What is, do you want to mention that? Well,
1: I, my, yeah, I was doing my workshop. And, you know, I wanted to find a fun way to graduate the students. And I met a guy that developed an offline game oh, she, uh, she. for she. teaching positive psychology in the workplace. And I'm like, I love this. Can we do it online? He's oh. like, do you want to join me? So I went and I uh, brought in Tal ben who's my mentor, right? And the three of us opened Happiness. It was a year ago. Happiness is the first and only uh, to date game. It's an online hybrid game that teaches employees to deal with their daily challenges using tools from the world of college. Interesting. Fun. It's fun, because we don't play enough, you know, <laughs> and my model, right, that uh, talks about you know, five Ps for leading like a girl, the the six P is playing. We don't play enough. Yeah, and that's the true. Best
0: way to go. true, true. And, and Dahlia is also available on LinkedIn as well, where she has lots of connections, connections and a huge following and does great posts, uh, et cetera. That's how I found you. When I, uh, I, you, you know, you popped up on my LinkedIn feed several times and, you know, we've had, we've had over 250 guests on the podcast for the writer flex podcast. And I kept watching your profile and I thought, man, what a, she she has got so much energy, and then I watched a couple of your your clips from the, the TED talk, and I thought, okay, okay, let's get Dalia on the podcast because we need
1: today. But I hope I'm still having the energy. <laughs> no,
0: it, your energy is super contagious. I'm sure you've been told that a million times. Passion
1: is contagious. It is.
0: It is. I mean, uh, we, people need to hear that. And you know what I really enjoy ab- about this entire conversation is your you're reminding all of these people that are managers that that hey it, they're human beings that work for you that that want to uh be in the right culture and be led and be happy and yeah you can have KPIs you can sure sure you can have ROIs i mean you
2: have to, right you know
0: you, you got to make yeah. money to keep the business going but it's so much more than that you, and, and the human element is so critical. And you're, you're great at emphasizing that, which I really appreciate.
1: Now, just say it's not a or. It's not profit or purpose. Okay. It's right. not people or right. KPIs. I like to say ROI is not return on investment. It's return on interaction. Because when mm. you think about where you make your profit, it's through interactions. Your interactions with your people, your people's interactions with the clients, customers, etc. So there's no ROI without people. And any manager that is not waking up to this should ask themselves if they're really leading. And, you know, the good news in all of this is that it's all teachable. It's all coachable. You can teach yourself to have soft skill. You can teach yourself to help your employees find their strengths, bring their purpose to work, build growth mindset. Everything that I talk to about in the book, everything has, you know, a worksheet. I, I created it as a workbook almost, right? Ah, with okay. all the data, all the stories, and all the worksheets that you can take. And that's what I kind of do with with employees that are about to become people managers because it is a huge responsibility. Yes. You do not manage the business. You manage the people that manage the business. It is a huge responsibility, and it is the make or break because an engaged employee delivers you know, so much more and an engaged employee, you know, employees that have trust with their manage, manager or 3.4 more engaged in their work. So mm. you're important. If you're a manager, you are important. So better get those soft skills to do the job right.
0: <laughs> Excellent stuff, Dahlia. Thank you so much for sharing your story on the RiderFlex Flex podcast. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much. Lovely to be here. Thank you.